lucky enough in the sense that before um, applying to cardiology for the ACF as well as to the uh, standard posts, I was in cardiology for six months. So that was really helpful um, in some aspects. So definitely if you are in doing, if you aren't doing cardiology, do discuss about things relation to cardiology. In terms of what I've done um, through my career, I have been an FY1, FY2 in Scotland actually, because I grew up there. Um, my parents are living in Scotland. I also went to school and yeah, went to uni there in Aberdeen. And then I went to do my F1, uh, F2 in Aberdeen as well. Yeah. So it was, I got to know the place quite a lot. I wanted to move and hence I moved to England. And the first place I had to choose was where do I go in England for my IMT training, which ended up in Cambridge. And um, because I did happen to do some bit of research and also a little bit of presentations during my intercalated degree and got a publication out of it. So that tended to help me towards the application processes. And yeah, in Cambridge, again, it's a really research heavy place. So it's good. So it, obviously not everyone's experience will be like that, but certainly having some form of research I found was helpful. So and I sought, sought out, so spoke to people about research early on. I felt that was helpful. Yeah. Very cool. And I'm sure what I'm saying, so you obviously have a little bit of research background and you did incredibly well this year in that you applied both for the clinical application process and you applied for the ACF application process and fantastically well. You got you got you got both numbers, which is incredible and incredible achievement. So how did you how did you decide about whether to apply for an ACF? versus a clinical versus both and when did you decide well i think i think i have to be um quite honest like in terms of applying i knew that an acf would be like a run-through training so that's part of my willingness to do it because there was the guarantee of a job at the end of the day in cardiology i've always wanted to do cardiology but in terms of yeah how i got there i wanted as many opportunities as possible so i applied to all the acfs in cardiology just to and boost my chances I, because I actually spoke to one of my colleagues who was doing the ACF in Cambridge and he said yeah apply to everything you just want the number so I sort of listened to his advice a bit like his guinea pig and then just applied to everything as well as the sender post so I had interviews for quite a few things but also like some places rejected me as well so ACFs are always um picky about who they want for that particular research project sometimes yeah. so and then do you fit in with their actual research program as well yeah. Um, so yeah they shortlist you and then yeah and then yeah i was happened to be shortlisted to some of them and got interviews i think it was in leicester and bristol and london and i got into leicester was rejected by the other two but hey and and the other parts for standard training yeah again you go through a process with about 500 other people you get shortlisted to about 300 people who get interviews um, and then you, after the interviews, you get a uh, score. And then based on that score, you get a ranking. And, and there's about 100 jobs, I think 105 jobs this year with some latch posts. So, yeah. So the application, I think certainly for the um, ratio, the competition ratio, there's always a competition in cardiology, as you probably heard from uh, Varric and, uh, and Nick. And, and certainly 
it's a little bit higher for ACFs, but you have to know that, you know, if you've already got a bit of research experience, if you're already interested in that, you've got some presentations, you are already at a higher standing. So do think about applying to an ACF, even if you feel you're not the best, try. You can, I mean, you, can, you can't lose anything from trying, right? So. Yeah, no, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think um, I was in a fairly similar situation myself and the ACFs are worse, a run through, and I didn't feel like I was the most academic, but I'd had some research under my belt and you know, pleasant surprise that I did it. I think one of my, one of my, one of my colleagues, he's an SHO of me, Kings, and he actually applied to all the other ACFs. I think at one point he was holding like Bristol, he was holding Bristol, Leicester, two of the northern ones and one other as well. It's just quite funny, like for all of these, all these offers, it's, it's very much, unlike the clinical process, I completely agree. It's one of those ones where if you don't get it, it's good interview practice. If you don't get it, at least you've thought about your portfolio. And if you apply and you do get it, well, at least you've got an interesting decision to make at the end of the day. So yeah, I can't see much downside to, uh, to applying for ACS. It just means you have to get ready slightly earlier, which is, probably not on anyone's agenda at the start of the year. So talking through the application process, so obviously there's a shortlisting score. So how far in advance had you started thinking, this is what I need for the shortlisting score and this is what more I need to do? I, th I think for myself, I mean, I didn't actually start thinking of it towards um, just before applying because I wanted to, see, uh, but obviously I think, I think people would always say, you can start early I mean but then how early is early so but I think it's all about and um, what you know you have already because I think a lot of the applicants have done AFPs or a lot of the people would have done some form of intercalated degrees so do have a think do have a chat with people who've actually done ACFs or are doing ACFs at the moment in terms of what things you need I think that's always a good start but in terms of there's and um, in terms of how early to prepare hopefully you would have had some experience already before i mean if if i decided then and to collect all the um, requirements like publications and also presentation that would have been impossible so do do think ahead similar to when you are applying to anything but if you are at the day you, you said this is i've got one publication i've got two presentations or i've done for example a few qi projects with leading to some presentations i think that's that's okay as long as you have references as well, which which are good, but also that you have perhaps done something additional which is research related. And if you haven't, you know, start a research project that you can write about during um, the application or that you can talk about as well. And um, it is a um, competitive competitive process. So do have a look at the the scoring system. It's online. You can find it on the NIHR website. Um, and they do tell you in terms of how they score it. I, I think it's out of, I think 40 something points, but you get like one, two or three based on how many presentations or are they international or conferences or how many publications and are they, it's similar to how you applied to your foundation programs or your uh, IMT programs as well, um, but a bit more academic focused. In terms of things that you can do to prepare, um, you can look at, you can certainly speak things, anything that is um, relation, in relation to uh, research is good. But by that, we mean things which, um, 
for example, things you, you have done on the QI project, which has led to improvement of the service, although it's not fully research, but it is still an improvement of service and it's clinically related, clinically relevant. And if you have a supervisor who is also doing research, um, then sometimes these projects can lead to research projects as well, which lead to new discoveries. But also that if you have done systematic reviews, that's, or you can even do a systematic review and that's relatively easy to do. And you can do that in a space of um, a few months or, and, some, and that's one of the, the, the research that most people tend to have or tend to do for, for these applications to have a randomized control trial. I certainly have not done a randomized control trial and nobody expects you to have done a randomized control trial. But you know, if you have done one, then again, that's a lot of stuff that you can write about and, and, and certainly yeah. you'll look very well if you have done that before. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and like, so you obviously had the three ACF interviews. Did you feel like, how did you feel? Did you feel like they helped you uh, in any way for the clinical interview? I think definitely has prepared me for the clinical interviews because it was the main thing is it talked about your own, one of the questions about your own um, personal experience of and what made you want to do research, but also in relation to cardiology and how that impacts your uh, career decision making. And that is also a question which you have in the standard cardiology interviews. Um, and about your commitment to specialty. And certainly if you haven't prepared lots of things for the ACF, you will show up as very committed for the standard training uh, post interview as well. So for example, I've prepared a lot about, you know, what I wanted to say about my research experience, about my non-research experience, as well as uh, cardiology related experience. And then if you already know what you want to say, actually there's less preparation you have to do for the standard post because you have it all there already and you have your portfolio ready as well by then. So actually it just means that you have to prepare about a month or two earlier. However, it does mean that you have everything. And in fact, you will turn out to be a better candidate in the standard training, even if you do not get the ACF uh, offer as such. Yeah, no, I can, I, and, so then, Okay, the, the clinical interview itself. So, how did you, how did you prepare for that, and what did you find useful? I think, in terms of the clinical interview, and um, what was really useful was the fact that I have prepared with um, my, my peers, who is also applying to cardiology. There's actually about four of us who applied this year, and and, and yeah, pretty much all of us had offers, and it was because we prepared um, with each other. Um, and also we spoke to our cardiology registrars who actually did an um, interview with us uh, going through sort of similar questions. So talk, thinking about the interview process itself then, so for the clinical interview, how far in advance did you start? Preparing? I started certainly with my colleagues about uh, two, two months um, ahead of it. So that's yeah. in terms of preparing for the interview. Again, similar to the academic um, interview there are things that you cannot prepare two months in advance you, you simply cannot like you cannot have an integrated degree because by that, that time is too late so so it is individual specific but based on what you have do everything you can similar i mean these are things that everyone probably already knows get qi projects get research etc etc is all on the it's online on the website um for the actual um, on the Royal College website. So when you're applying, you should check it out. Um, but that's how they score you. But once you get into the shortlisting, um, then in terms of the interview, there are only five stations. So the, the, the five stations are your 
um, commitment to specialty. In fact, that's your first question for cardiology this year. The second question is the medical registrar suitability. Um, and that's based on one of the new questions. And basically all it asks is you, you get, are getting a, uh, for example, lots of unwell patients and you as the medical registrar, can you manage it? And the other is how you discharge these patients once they become better. And that's the two areas they're focusing at. And the other thing is the third question, which is looking at ethical scenarios. So how do you deal with ethical issues and can you can you manage it appropriately? And, and then you've got two clinical cases. So and and the first clinical case is a more generic case. So things like somebody with chest pain and then has you are shown their ECG, you're shown their blood test result. What is the likely diagnosis and how do you approach it? And then the other one is the more sort of rare or, uh, or chronic condition. And then for the clinical, how did you make sure you you had enough clinical knowledge to deal with yep. the clinical patients? So I think in terms of getting specific clinical knowledge, the ESC guidelines are really useful. Okay. Um, look at the summary summary uh, slides. I wouldn't read through the 200 pages for each one. There's no, no point doing that. And you can sort of practice with peers. So... Once you have made some summaries, you can share it or somebody makes a summary for each um, particular condition. And then you can share it with each other to ask and um, to test each other's knowledge. And then that speeds up time for yourself in terms of preparation because we only had two months. So we had to really use the time wisely. The other thing is is in terms of um, using online resources. So MediBuddies, yeah, Nick and Maverick both organized. It's quite useful. I, I did that. So yeah. And I think they also do an introductory one as well as the one for the actual formal interviews. And they probably have another one as well afterwards. So all of these are useful resources. So practice, practice, practice with each other, practice with your peers, and also ask cardiology registrars to supervise you, like practicing or consultants. Do these kinds of practices online. And also, yeah, and to check up on the knowledge, then ESC guidelines is the gold standard as well. Yeah as well as actual, and um, yeah, you might, your SBR might have some lists that they use, but um, but always check against the ESC guidelines because that's probably more accurate. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's very true. I think you don't need to know them like by rote. You don't need to say like, oh, you know, this is the 1B recommendation, for example, but to know that, I think if you've got knowledge and you can read the guidelines and they make sense to you, are you like, yes, that's what I would do. With these kind of patients i personally don't look at the i personally look to the guidelines after i'd read bit, i read a bit of knowledge stuff so i'd gone through some ec an ecg book and i'd gone through a theory when i was at 100 clinical cases but then so when i came to the guidelines i was like well, look i just need to make sure that what i've learned isn't so rogue yeah but i think whatever way you use it your your yep. team is key like use those esc pocket guidelines is i think an absolute must for the interviews yeah. Yeah. yeah like try and think why the guideline is written that way like for example why for example qrs has to be greater than 150 milliseconds or 135 milliseconds why is it mostly for left under branch block there's more indication rather than right under branch block for a crt device and also look at why specific, well, I mean, for, if you're interested, then look at the specifics as to, in particular situations, what you would do. Um, but obviously remember that they're not testing you on all of that specifics. It's mostly on the, the big bold aspects or the class A indications. And they're not expecting you to remember off by heart 
again because you're not a registrar yet but they are expected you to know an idea of who would benefit for example from an ICD or from a CRT or who would benefit who would not benefit certainly and and that is based on their clinical status as well yeah that's really useful Sam is there anything else that you think uh that you haven't mentioned yet or anything else you're like gosh I wish I knew this before the process anything else yeah I think just to mention about the ACF interviews, I think there is only a finite number of questions they ask you. I think it's, I think it's like seven or eight questions, and it's all predefined as well. And apart from obviously the clinical, so not the the research scenario or the paper that you're given would be different depending on which um, which hospital you're interviewing at. But they're bound to ask you things. Can you explain the data? So to understand how to explain that data and how you'd structure that but also your own research experience you can always prepare that you can always prepare for your what things where do you see research in the next five ten years time yeah um, and you can always prepare about how you would want to plan your own research for the future as well those are the questions you can prepare for um and it is it is online so in terms of the questions that they're likely to ask you and, and you just get scored based on the questions and yeah and also in terms of the standard cardiology interviews although you can't say you know exactly what question will come up but the questions will be will be similar to what has happened in the past and certainly preparing for questions will allow you to be more confident and um, when you actually answer or meet a similar scenario even if you haven't at least your structure as what um, Nick and Barrick would go with, over with you guys you would hopefully get through that and be able to have a more succinct structure and also one that um, makes more sense and has has more substance to the actual uh, answers as well yeah no i think that's that's really that's really good advice i think i think the acf interviews are such a they're very different they're a very different process uh to the clinical interviews and you are quite grilled because there's sometimes more than two consultants and, and just one one of you uh but I think the yeah I think we'll, I think we'll cover the ACF interview in more detail another time. But I think the other thing I would say, for anyone's listening here, is it's important to have a basic, more than just a basic knowledge of your stats. I think I you know you don't need to know it inside out, but you need to know what stats to answer. You'd use to answer simple questions and simple data. So you know, for example, if someone said, "I've got a test for lung cancer," you know, how how do I test it? You should have an idea to how you could test it against the current gold standards, for example, and how you'd compare the one or the other and the stats that you might use. You can talk about trial design, but part of trial design and things that they're always going to ask you about is what stats you're going to use. And I think for my ACF interview, certainly that was the differentiator between those that did well and those that didn't do so well. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a pain to have to learn your stats again, but I think it. It's not something you don't. It's not something you want to go into ACF interview not knowing. Yeah, I think for my my interview, um, one of the questions was, um, how do you explain the difference between hazard ratio and risk ratio? And yeah, yeah so it's it might be not it not might not be something that you thought about before, and yeah. and you just had to sort of explain in your own words without using the same words as hazard and risk and, and, and differentiate the two. And obviously hazard is more of a, a specific answer over the longer period of time. And a risk ratio is that particular one particular uh, 
period of time. So, and also that you had to, yeah. So there will be some stats questions, but usually just one, but, but just have an idea of what you want to say. For that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great, Sam. That's, that's been incredibly useful. So thanks so much for coming on and sharing your, no, thank you. Very and uh, yeah, well, really well done in getting both a clinical number at Oxford and a uh, ACF post in Leicester. I think that's a, a very good achievement. And, uh, thank you. Yeah, a year well done. Hello, thank you. Um, and you guys have been really helpful as well. Uh, well my pleasure. My pleasure.